You are listening to CFCR 90.5 FM. It's time for the nerdy news. It's Punch Radio. You have in the studio Dave and Jody. Hello. Hello. And we will hear from Hank and Craig and Brennan. Today, we've been sitting on this, we feel, for a while. Yeah. But we wanted to give people time to see it. So yep. that, like, you know, not so fresh and no risk of spoilers. We'll try to keep the big stuff under wraps. Yeah, we're not going to spoil anything. We're mostly going to talk about how much we love this thing. Yeah, so this is the long-awaited release of the Venture Brothers movie, Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart. Yeah, and it's, uh, it's very good. We, we've watched it several times. We enjoyed it. We got a lot of laughs out of it. But there's also some melancholy feeling in watching something that you know is going to be the last installment in something that you really love. Whether it's the final episode of a comic or a final book in a series or a final film in a chain. Mm -hmm. um, we don't know what its creators will move on to. Hopefully this is just a bridge to something else and we'll get to see Doc Hammer and... Uh, Jackson Public Jackson, make more stuff. Yeah, that maybe they'll move on to something that we will love just as much. The fans are rallying. Like, they're putting pressure on the production companies for, like, make more. So, But it, it has put us in a mind state where we're thinking back on over a decade of venture adventure. It's so good. And we probably will go back and do a full rewatch. Like, I think maybe Craig was planning on doing before he, before he watched this one. Um, he's got a good review of it on the Feedback Society, if you want to check that out as well. Yeah. Oh, no, he's not using Feedback Society anymore. It's still up and it's still there. It you can still yeah. link to the new CraigSilphant.com. I looked at it today. Yeah, I'm just telling them. Okay. All right. So, Venture Brothers. Love this cartoon. Been a huge fan since the get-go. And when trying to make a top ten, I was like, how do you even scale that mountain i could probably make a top 10 episodes but i wouldn't be able to rank them one to ten exactly because you can't really set one favorite apart from another okay so what i did was i just put them in chronological order sure okay and i got it down to 12 which i think is like incredibly i didn't do that but i don't think i'm going to dispute any of your choices okay they're all good so starts off with a pilot which isn't the best but it just gains momentum throughout the first season until you get to the last two, 11 and 12, which are past tense, which is the funeral of Mike Soriyama, and then episode 12, Trial of the Monarch. That's maybe my favorite one. I'll say that a few times, but that's maybe my favorite one. The Trial of the Monarch's hilarious. It is brilliant. Timing, taking that whole courtroom procedural and just like turning it on his head is so clever too. Yeah. And that's, you know, an episode where you learn about a lot of side characters that become important later. Uh, a lot of seeds being planted in that early episode. Yeah, both both so good. Okay, well, they also finished off season two really, really strong with Viva Los Muertos, which is the Venture Stein and Scooby-Doo spoof. So good. Again, hilarious. A lot of gags, a lot of physical comedy gags in this one. So it's a little bit silly. But it is delightful. Well, this this show, maybe spoofing is maybe what they do best. The whole series could yes. be seen as a spoof of the Johnny Quest cartoons from our childhood in the 1970s and 80s. 
And, uh, yeah, they pull in things like Scooby-Doo and the DC animated universe all the time. Music. So if you grew up watching cartoons, you'll, 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 you'll love this show because it'll, it'll, they're, the creators are in love with all that stuff. Well, and they're in love with so many other genres too, like popular music and alternative rock and fashion and like they just poke fun at everything and they're so smart like they're so intelligent and there's just such a vast amount of like easter eggs that you can like pick up again and again with subsequent viewings which i think that that's what makes a show in longevity great plus great villains plus great villains which we'll talk about later we'll get to that okay in season three, they hit their stride, and there's so many in this one that are so, so awesome. But you get, like, the origin story of Billy Quizboy, you get Camp Rusty, and then you get the duo family that slays together, stays together, or Brock's on the run with the family. Like, it's just joy. That's a two-parter, and it's got three great villains, assassins who are all after Brock. Yeah. None are successful. All are hilarious. And Latour collects Silver Age comics, so he's got a real soft spot in my heart. But he's not very Batman. He's just not very Batman. Yeah, that is, is that the first episode where we find out about Hank's love and fascination for and with Batman, or it's one of the first ones where it becomes a really big deal? Where it becomes a big deal, because, yeah. no, he's, he's hardcore. He's worn the mask before. Oh, yes. Yeah, he is the Bat. Uh, season four, also crazy strong, hard to pick out, like, but amongst all the diamonds, some extra shiny ones are, um, episode one, Blood of the Father, Heart of Steel, where they play with the format of a CGC comic book to show you the chronology of, like, how events happen. Such a fun rewatch. Oh my god, it's yeah. brilliant. That kind of blew our minds the first time we saw it. It did. It was almost too good. It was, yeah. And then you get Handsome Ransom, so you get Captain Sunshine, you get self-medication, which is the like adventure boy self-help group, whatever, and then... Yeah, it's the adventure characters in therapy. Yeah. Which is... Brilliant. Yeah. And then you get everybody comes to Hank's. It's like, it's... It's an episode where Hank becomes a detective, and in order to do so, he dons a costume that he cobbles together from an Indiana Jones costume because he thinks that Indy's hat looks like a detective hat, yeah. um, which doesn't explain why, as a detective, he is always carrying around a whip. But when he's asked that question, he just explains that it's a detective's whip. Which it is. It yeah. Just, just, it just it don't. Now. Just take it. Anyways. And that might also be the episode where you get the most Al the Alchemist. It's one of his biggest yeah. roles in that episode. He's his Girl kinda, Friday. Kind of teams up with Hank to solve a mystery of, um, well... Um, it's a paternity mystery. It is. Which doesn't really get answered yeah. uh, fully for many episodes to come. So in case people haven't seen it, we, we, won't, we won't be too detailed about that. No, but it's great. It's a really fabulous episode. Okay, so then I tried to just pick one for the last three seasons each. But again, the whole seasons are just gold. But season five, episode one, What Color Is Your Clean Suit? Season six, episode five. So right in the middle of it is tanks for nothing and then in season seven episode five the bellicose proxy which is the big villain little villain program yes yeah it, where, those three are excellent where uh you know a, a, an established villain has to take on a fledgling villain 
uh, as sort of a mentor-mentee mm-hmm. kind of thing. And just so great at the way this show pokes fun at the hierarchy of superheroism and villainy as established in Marvel and DC Comics and just points out all the reasons why it doesn't make sense. Um, why do people arch other people? Why do people <laughs> hench for other people? That's kind of the lifeblood that makes this show so hilarious and brings so many good characters into it. It is incredible, and it's why I love it so much. Okay, well, you couldn't pick a favorite episode, so you picked 12 great ones for us. Yeah. Apart from the monarch, who is everybody's favorite villain, mm-hmm. can you pick a favorite villain from this show? I, okay, let me think about that. Yeah. Okay, let's throw things over to Craig and Hank and Brennan. And then when we come back, I will give you my answer. Stall tactics. I like it. Okay. It's good. Okay. Take it away, fellas. I need to think about this. Hey, everybody. It's Craig Sillipin on Punch Radio on CFCR 90.5. And I'm joined, as always, by my handsomer friend, Hank Cruz. Ooh. I like that word, handsomer. I'm going to put that on my business card. Perfectly cromulent word. Yeah. Look at you. Hold on, I just got to pull up my thesaurus and find out some other words here. Hold on. Romulant? Hold on, now I got to look. Oh, there's too many. Oh, God, read? Who knows how to read? I don't know. Let's let's talk about stuff. What, let's uh, talk what's about up? things you watch on the television then. Yeah, on the what, TV. Uh, what, what have you been watching lately? Ooh, um, have you heard about that movie called The Beanie Bubble about Beanie Babies? I did hear about that one. Yeah. So uh, as it turns out, I got a theatrical theatrical release. Well, I'm very excited about it. Um, playing like downtown here at the at the uh, Galaxy Cinemas or whatever. Anywho, I watched it on uh, Amazon. Is where I watched it because it was released there as well. Eh, Beanie Babies. How many Beanie Babies are in your house right now? You got some in a box somewhere? Uh, like zero, I think. Yeah. No, I, really? I, never, I never had any. I don't even know if my sister had any. The kids and I. Wow. Well, I can see we got a several Beanie Babies in our house. That's uh, but Ty Warner played by Zach Galifianakis, was a frustrated toy salesman until he collaborated with three women through various stages of the development of the Beanie Babies to have billions of dollars in toys and then the rise and fall of uh, Ty as a company and uh, Ty Warner as a person. Number one, Zach Galifianakis does not have a beard. It is creepy. I don't like Zach Galifianakis without a beard, and it took me out of the movie the whole time. I'm like, uh, I, don't, I don't like it. It's I don't know if I've seen him um, without a beard. I know. It's it's very. I don't like it. I don't like it. But uh, the movie itself was pretty entertaining. If it was in the theater and you got to sit there the whole time without being able to go on your phone and stuff, it wouldn't be so much. But interesting to find out how he starts with nothing ends up because of the help of his uh, staff that he hired gets like the first uh, big thing on eBay was Beanie Babies. And so they started that. They were the first company that really used a website to market their stuff and how none of it was him. It was his idea for the company. And other than that, all these people helping him, he rips them all off and um, ends up uh, in the end uh, not having uh, not having any money. But uh, Elizabeth Banks plays uh, one of, uh, well, plays uh, his wife. Um, then Sarah Snook plays another wife because, of course, he's getting divorced all the time. And then Geraldine Viswanathan, I believe is how you pronounce her name, uh, plays a, uh, she started off as a secretary and then started to work her way up 
she was the one that took care of all of the internet all of everything getting paid basically minimum wage and then when she's like hey like i want to be more involved in the company and get what i'm worth uh he basically got rid of her and uh that part was the worst boom so watch a movie on amazon yeah it was kind of fun especially if you got beanie babies and then you remember the craze people fighting over them God, beanie babies. yeah there you go there you go what else you got Oh, so Geraldine, she's also in Miracle Workers, which is now in season four. And if you remember me talking about Miracle Workers, it's got Daniel Radcliffe, uh, Steve Buscemi is how you pronounce it, correct, Craig? Buscemi? 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 Buscemi. Um, and each, it's an anthology series. So it started off, uh, the first one was uh, uh, Steve Buscemi played God and they were in heaven and did this whole thing. Then they went to the Middle Ages. Um, then they went to the Old West, uh, the Oregon Trail last time. And now it's end times like Mad Max Fury Road. Um, a bunch of episodes are out right now. It is hilarious and it's awesome. I hope they keep making them. And then last, Special Ops, Lioness, a new Taylor Sheridan show on Paramount Plus, of course, because Paramount Plus is all Taylor Sheridan. Yeah. Uh, Why don't they just call it one... Taylor Sheridan Network now? Wait, like it's that's all it is. It is very... Um... I would say uh, it is like a very violent show, uh, but it's a Joe uh, played by uh, our good friend uh, Zoe Saldana attempts to balance her personal and professional life as the tip of the spear in CIA's war on terror. Uh, so she's working for uh, SOCOM and uh, the CIA over in places like uh, Afghanistan and Syria and things like that. And um, uh, violence and things are, uh, it's a little bit of political intrigue is going to come in there as well. I will caution you though, that Nicole Kidman is in the title. I've yet to see her, but she's in the title. So if you're not a fan of Nicole Kidman, she's in it. So be careful. She may pop up anytime. So I haven't seen this yet, but I was uh, listening to uh, somebody talk about it. Uh, it might have been Chris Ryan on the Ringer podcast network there. And he was saying it's almost like Taylor Sheridan made his own like military recruiting show. Yeah. And I've also heard that like, like they were saying it was good, but like one of the guys was like, I turned it off after like one episode or half or halfway through the second episode or something just because of some of the violence. Like, they, yeah, it's pretty, um, yeah, it's pretty brutal. And I know like I read something about it that I haven't seen yet that's going to happen. But even like the main character, uh, other than Zoe's character, she gets into the Marines because of the abuse that she has suffered from her boyfriend. And so the one scene, I, I think it might have even been part in the trailer, she tries to escape the abusive relationship. He comes at her, she smacks him over the head a couple of times, it's like a frying pan or something. He's chasing her down the street. She's trying to get into businesses for help and he's going to kill her. And she manages to go into the only open door, which happens to be a Marine uh, recruiting center. And she gets in there and then he comes in. And of course, there is a Marine standing there. Right. And, uh, and that's how um, uh, she ends up getting into the Marines and becoming one of the top cadets that they've had in the last 10 years or something. Um, and yeah, it's pretty, but even just that scene was like, oh my God. And then you see later, like the uh, abuse that's been afflicted, like uh, with the, like marks all over her back and cigarette burns in her arms and thing. It's like, yeah, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's uh, violent, but uh, so far action packed and uh, a little bit, uh, I want to see where it goes. I want to see well, what they're doing. So I know when I want to see a story about a uh, abused woman of color, it's got to be a, a, a an old white man like Taylor Sheridan that should write it. <laughs> well, yeah. And then it's in the military, but uh, they made a point in the first episode here where she is outshining all of the men. And that's why uh, she's right. being selected for the special uh, CIA thing um, because she's uh, like the best. 
better nice. than all the rest. Yeah, Singing I'll check it out. Okay, well, what do you got? What's up? Uh, yeah, I've been watching a few things. So uh, we may have talked about this already, but I finally got a chance to finish uh, season two of The Bear. The best show on uh, TV. Yes. Well, I, I don't know if I'd go that far, but I do really like it. Um, you watch your filthy mouth. Best show uh, on TV right now. Hey, it's good. I, uh, I don't mean to imply otherwise. I almost was like not into it in the first couple of episodes. Like what it does really well is I think it captures that like restaurant world and like the intensity of it. And like, I mean, I worked in restaurants growing up and, you know, it can be quite intense and they, they make it very anxious feeling even like. But what I did like about this season is I think it picked up eventually for me and then I was really enjoying it. But uh, they had a, a good goal in mind this season instead of just sort of meandering through like they did in the first season. Well, I guess in the first season, he takes over his brother's old restaurant after his brother commits suicide. And so I don't mean to say like that they meander through it, but like it's just that's kind of the focus of it. And in the second season, he's like rebooting the whole restaurant. And so they're, they got the money. They're trying to open by a certain date uh, and trying to make that all happen. And then he's getting distracted and stuff. So uh, I thought it was pretty good. I love the cast of it. I think he's great. Uh, there's lots of uh, lots of the actors in it are great. My only real criticism of it is that like, Sometimes it can feel a little too like on the nose or over sentimental, which I don't know, to me just doesn't jive well with the sort of realism of some of the other pieces of it. Uh, but it's quite good. It, it's, you know, it is one of the best shows on TV this year for sure. Um, what did you think of the uh, Christmas episode? So they had an episode in the show right. where uh, they go back in time to when his brother's still alive and their family is insane and it's uh takes place uh it's christmas eve right yeah and then uh jamie lee curtis plays uh the mom and she's in the kitchen uh cooking up a storm and then the family drama is like a 50 out of 10 and tense and everything so i love that episode yeah but it was a very good episode people were like well it takes you out of the other things that are happening like yeah but it shows you what it was like before his brother that i thought it was an amazing episode yeah but no and i I'm... almost turned it off because it was too much tension and i'm like oh my god i felt like i was there i'm like i can't handle oh, it it's so tense and i mean uh Jamie Lee Curtis is amazing in it, even a little over the top, perhaps, but like that's kind of what the character is supposed to be. Uh, and then John Bernthal is, again, just super amazing in that. I don't mind when shows take those little diversions sometimes to like fill you really in, because I mean, this is the first time we've really seen that much backstory, even though the ghost of his brother like hides or hangs over the like the restaurant since the first episode, right? So like, uh, and I think it really solidifies a lot of their relationships, like Oliver Platt and uh, uh, what's his name? Moss, the like cousin or whatever. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I, well, he's not their cousin, but they call each other cousin. Yeah, cousin. Uh, so, yeah, I mean, overall, really great season. And I hope they are able to do more. So, you know what? I was going to talk about a couple more things, but we are out of time for you and I. So we got to throw back to Jody here and we'll get to those things uh, next week. Sweet. Hello, Punch listeners. It's Brendan here once again as though you were surprised it would be me. Because I'm here every week to give you suggestions, pontifications, motivations, and concepts to help improve your weekly life. As I established last episode, because I only get to talk to you once a week. The last episode, we are focusing on music documentaries, rock roll documentaries, and I'm going to pee back on that a little bit, but I'm going to expand our horizons, uh, talk about some different genres, uh, and just things that I really like 
uh, that deal with music uh, and comics and movies and other documentaries. Now, instead of diving in with one idea or topic for five minutes, this is going to be more of a roll call where I just mention a few things really quick, give you a quick synopsis, uh, and tell you why you should check them out. All right, first, let's talk about some music-related comics. Uh, the first one, The Last Band on Earth, the wonderful series uh, written and illustrated by Elaine Will, Saskatoon's own Elaine Will. It has won awards. Uh, it's a fan favorite. Uh, go get it because it's selling out. Make sure you don't miss The Last Band on Earth. Talking about local arts and comics, the Ultimate Power Duo presents The Adventures of Space Joe Ad Astra. Now, uh, The Riz is a good friend of mine. This is a 20-track concept record that comes with a graphic novel. Each song has its own two-to-five-page story that goes along with it, including art by Elaine Will, Donnie Sparrow, and Riley Rossimo, who went on to work on Batman and Harley Quinn, a bunch of DC titles. So if you are a completist of those Saskatoon artists, make sure you track down Ultimate Power Duo Presents, The Adventures of Space Joe, Ad Astra. And then Rock and Roll Comics. Now, listeners, I hope you remember these. In the 90s, late 80s, from what I recall, there was a series of the unauthorized biographies of rock bands. I know for a fact I bought the Aerosmith issue because I loved Aerosmith. There was ACDC, I'm sure there's a Motley Crue one, Judas Priest, all these unauthorized biographies about bands, and they were great. It's something I, I kind of wish people would bring back. Now, because it was unauthorized, maybe that's how they got away with it without being sued. With the internet and things now, I'm not sure if you can get away with it, but if you can, find those rock and roll biography comics. If you do, or maybe it's collected, I don't know. Listeners, you have homework. Go find these comics and let me know how to get them because I'd love to get my hands on more of them. The art was okay. The writing was, wasn't that great, but that wasn't the point. I loved them as a young musician uh, learning about my bands. Speaking of music and comics, there are comics that will make a playlist, or like a soundtrack that goes along with the actual comic. Uh, DC Comics did one of Black Canary, uh, Infinite, I believe it was called, that have songs that go along with the story. It's great if you want to watch more movies. The Who... Sensation, the story of Tommy. Fascinating look at the career of The Who. It even says, made with the total cooperation of the band. So lots of interviews with Pete Townsend and Roger Daltrey. Uh, John Entwistle is there as well. And talks about The Who would have broken up if Tommy hadn't taken off the way it did. It talks about their career, how they got to that point, what a staple in rock they were. Super fascinating if you're into rock history and The Who. Amy! I know the Amy Winehouse documentary has been out for a while, but every time I watch it, it still breaks my heart. Live footage and talks about her life and her rise and then her eventual uh, death. And it's, it's just heartbreaking. If you haven't seen it, make sure that you check that one out. Uh, Frank Zappa and the Mothers, Roxy the movie. Um, if you want to check out Frank Zappa sort of at its peak with a live audience playing with one of the best bands you'll ever hear, check that one out. Uh, one more really quick, Hired Gun, which talks about the musicians that, uh, the, the first call, A-list musicians, who are the ones that have been behind the leads, making them famous, and how this small group of musicians have played on so many records that you love and probably don't know who they are. Are there more? Of course there's more, but that's a small list just to get you started. So there you go. Enjoy some music. Enjoy some comics. Enjoy the things that you love. And this is Brennan saying, I'll talk to you soon, Saskatoon.
We are back, so thank you guys. Okay, I've had some time. I think I have an answer, and it also explains the complexity of Venture Brothers at the same time. Favorite Venture villain? I think it's Dr. Z. Oh yeah, good pick. Because Dr. Z was a villain, and then he's sort of a friend, and then he's sort of like an authority figure. Like, he's yeah. got a really complicated relationship to being a villain. His story shows how the antagonists on this show, and in every superhero show, they need their villains. They do. Without them, they're lost. They have nothing. Sort of like how the story of the monarch shows that the villains need their arch enemies. They like do. Without Dr. Venture as his enemy and his arch, he is nothing. He which is... has come up on the show many times. Yeah. They keep thwarting him, and that's part of the plot of the new movie, Radiant is the Blood of the Baboon Heart, is that... You get a lot of Monarch, and he's just like, they won't let me do my arching. They will not let me get Dr. Venture till this, you know, matter is decided, and it kills him. I, I'm going to go a little more obscure for my favorite Venture villain, uh, okay. and I'm going to pick White Noise, simply because the concept of a former TV repairman who is turned into a three-dimensional figure made up entirely of static, but is also a white supremacist... <laughs> Makes no sense. It's it, well, it goes with the name it White does. Noise, which shows that this is how they make their villains on this show. Is they think beautiful. of a really funny name, it is and then they think of a story and an image to go along with it. And I mean, I think he's introduced in one episode, and then is maybe killed a couple episodes later, uh, in a very unceremonious way, taken down by the yes. uh, double-barreled shotgun of Phantom Limb. Cremation Creek. Yeah. So, also classic. But, the, you know, he, at one point in jail, he's concerned to the monarch about the, the pure blood of the group he's working for. And the monarch looks at this figure made of static and is asking, like, do you even have blood? Like, it's, <laughs> it's a good gag. And, you know, you get, you get per, pound for pound, you get a lot of laughs out of white noise. So I'll pick him. The... Monarch in prison, like all those scenes are gold. Well, because they start parodying Oz. They do. And I mean, at the time, that seemed like an obscure reference. I, maybe it's not. As time goes by, I think Oz references get more and more obscure. Maybe. Yeah. Do we have time for another quick We quick don't. Quiz? No, okay. I'm sorry. Okay, we could just have a show about the Okay, then I'll, I'll just end with a quick question. Is, is there any balm at all, knowing that your favorite animated series has now come to an end, that, like, one of your favorite animated series, Futurama from the past, has just been resurrected and has just embarked on a new season? Is that Does that soothe the wounds at all? It does. And we'll talk more about that. On yeah, once we've a seen a few episode. more. Yeah. 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 All right. Well, that wraps up the show, and thank you for tuning in once again. You know where to find us here on CFCR every Friday at 6 o'clock. In the meantime, bye. Bye.